drive it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1857. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Chicago, Illinois, with a very special guest by the name of Nick Alice. Nick, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have it in gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I am. I hope I didn't leave the emergency brake on. If you smell anything burning, please let me know. I'll holler at you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, other you. than burning rubber when you peel out. Before I give you a proper <laughs> introduction, could you tell our listeners today one little thing that maybe some people don't know about you? I can. I am a huge comic book nerd. Really? I've read comic. Yeah, I've read comic books since I was a teenager, and um, you know, back in the days when it was a little more embarrassing, <laughs> uh, and just have you know kept doing it through uh, my whole life. So I mean, I still, I don't, I don't buy them and put them on the little boxes anymore. But I, you know, I go online and I still read comic books. We're interesting. You know, this is a, a big collectible mm-hmm. kind of thing, and it's the same with, say, Hot Wheels. A couple of weeks ago, I had three different Hot Wheels experts on the show, and you think of, okay, old guys reading comic books. And I won't call you old. I'll call myself old, Nick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> We're both somewhat <laughs> in the same generation. You know, guys, uh, grown-ups, I'll, I'll say that, grown-ups reading comic books and playing with Hot Wheels cars and so forth, isn't that kind of silly? But do you find that the comic books, because I read a lot of comic books as a kid, as a kid and I remember one of them of course mad magazine that was like the thing to have oh, yeah. yeah it was just kind of grown up you know but kind of weird and a lot of the jokes i think when i was a kid i didn't even understand like what are they talking about and you <laughs> right. go back and look at them now and you go oh a lot of political innuendos going on here even mm-hmm. even back then maybe a little brainwashing somehow but are there a couple <laughs> specific magazines that you really enjoy today that you did enjoy as a kid yeah, I still love Spider Man. Spider Man, uh, you know, there one you of the go. things I yeah, one of the things I loved about Spider Man is he wasn't like uh Superman had his Fortress of Solitude and Bruce Wayne had his, you know, billions of dollars and he was just this kid who was trying to do the right thing. So yeah. as a teenager, you know, when you're reading that you're kind of living vicariously through the superhero. That really resonates with you. Very cool. Yeah. I love the way he can Spidey can fly through the air and, you know, shoot those webs out of his wrist. I'm like, yeah, that'd be kind of cool to do. I'm always a little tense though when I watch go, oh I might hit a building. No, he's okay. So <laughs> Very cool. Well, let me give you a proper introduction. And I want to thank you. We've known each other for a while. You've sent a lot of great guests here to Cars. Yeah, in fact, in two days, I've got two uh, young women who won the great race. They kind of shook things up a little bit. Uh, Olivia and Jenna that you introduced me to. So Nick, thanks for all the great people you've sent to me. Oh, that is my pleasure, and it's terrific to see them get some exposure for being passionate about the vehicle industry. Well, absolutely, and that's what Nick is all about. No stranger to the collector car world, Nick Ellis turned his love of restoration and preservation into a business, buying, restoring, and selling all different types of collector cars and motorcycles. Nick joined the RPM Foundation back in 2018 to manage their grant process. That's when I originally met him and was recently named Executive Director. Congratulations. The RPM Foundation's supports restoration and preservation training programs for the next generation of automotive, motorcycle, and marine craftsmen. The services, resources, and grants provided by RPM safeguard the future 
of the collector vehicle industry by sustaining hands-on training for young adults. Nick believes that collector vehicles are meant to be driven, amen, and enjoyed and is thrilled to be a part of ensuring that the next generation of restoration craftspeople are there to help and keep our beloved vehicles on the road. We'll be back in just a minute to talk more about RPM Foundation and Nick's life. But first, a word from our sponsors. So keep the seatbelts on. We're about to have a fun ride. Are you ready to get out and hit the road? Boy, I sure am. This country has so much to offer. And what better way than to get out and drive? Covercraft protects the things that move you. From protective covers for the outside of your vehicles to the inside with dash covers, seat covers, and sunscreens, all creatively designed to keep your vehicle cool for those roadside stops for a meal or to take in the view. Covercraft custom tailors their designs for your special vehicles and manufacturers with the quality and attention to detail that's been their standard since 1965. Road trips can be hard on your vehicle surfaces, so protect them. And when you get home, cleanup is fast and easy. And you want to get a deal? Well, I've got one just for you. Use the code ya 21 at Covercraft.com and you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off compliments of cars, yeah. Simply use the code Y-E-A-H-21, yeah, 21, at checkout. I've been protecting my vehicles with Covercraft covers since 1975. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Go to Covercraft.com today. Most people don't think about their collector car insurance until their annual premium becomes due. Well, why wait and see if there are better options for your beloved rides? I didn't. Did you know if you change carriers before your policy runs out, your insurance company has to refund you the unearned portion of your policy premium? I did my homework, I shopped around, and I found American Collectors Insurance. And that's who protects my Porsche Turbo. That's right, the one I call my Orange Crush. They've been protecting collector vehicles since 1976. I encourage you to call my friends at American Collectors Insurance. Ask them about their agreed value policy. And if your collector vehicle is on your regular auto policy, you will be shocked at the savings, not to mention the assurance, should something bad happen to your ride, that you'll get what your vehicle is actually worth. Give them a call today for a quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 224 9324. Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. Give them a call today. All right, Nick. So we're back. Let's dive a little deeper into the corner. Let's first go back and talk about the business you were involved in cars before you joined RPM Foundation and then kind of fold that into what RPM Foundation is, what it does, what it means to you, and why it's so important to the future of the car hobby and the preservation of old cars. So take it away. Sure. So I was very fortunate to have been able to work for a few years with my father. He had uh, started a small vehicle restoration operation. He would buy cars, restore them, and sell them. And I had um, been working in the IT world for a few years and was actually laid off in 2007. So that's 2008. There's this terrible yeah, economy. Something happened back then, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I read a few articles about just it. Just a few. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so gosh. Just to pass the time, I started going to the shop with my father. And, uh, you know, I'd always tinkered with vehicles throughout my life. And 
had a real knack for the mechanical end of things. So uh, we worked together for about seven years uh, doing that. And then when he retired, you know, I had kind of seen during the time that we were working together, the real genuine need within the industry for that next generation to get involved. So when I heard about the RPM Foundation, I was very excited about it. They were looking for somebody to manage the grants program. And I was fortunate enough to you know, meet the right people at the right time and get in and be able to work with them. And it's a terrific organization. Uh, you know, If you're listening to a podcast called Cars, yeah, I don't have to tell you that this is a real culture in, in addition to being, in, uh, to being an industry. It's a huge industry estimated at about $28 billion worldwide. So if there's no generation behind that, if there's no labor force made up of skilled craftspeople, that entire industry will eventually falter and, and disappear. So what the RPM Foundation does is we support existing programs that provide educational training in vehicle restoration and preservation through grant assistance. We do career services like resumes, cover letters, portfolio building, interview call, uh, coaching. Uh, we bring young people into our network and offer them connections. And we're doing programs of our own. We've got the apprenticeship program, which allows young people the opportunity to earn a living while they're learning directly from restoration professionals. We've got our endangered skills program. We connect apprentices uh, to masters of certain skills so that knowledge is passed on to the next generation. We also document that process of teaching the apprentice the new skill so that that's preserved. And we've got programs that introduce young people to the interest in the industry, like um, RPM Futures class, where if you're under 30 years old or you're enrolled in an automotive program, you're given the opportunity to showcase a vehicle you restored at a Concorde right alongside Ferraris and Duesenbergs. So we do a lot. We basically are here to ensure that this culture and this industry continues to survive and thrive. You know, it's so important. I've interviewed so many people, especially in the fabrication, restoration world, Concorde world, and they all have said the same thing. They're worried a bit because... Who's going to be here to care for these vehicles, keep them on the road, um, do the things that are necessary? I was at Bruce Canopus shop in Scotts Valley. He's been a guest on the show a few times, restores incredible cars, race cars, and so forth. And they were working on a Porsche 917 engine, rebuilding it. Well, if you've ever looked at one of those engines sitting there, it's insane. <laughs> And it's very right. unique, though. It's basically kind of two engines melded together and these weird gears in the middle. And I said, who knows how to do this stuff? And he kind of rolls <laughs> his eyes. He goes, well, we've got a guy here can do it. And I said, well, how old is he and who is he training? And he said, that's a big problem. We've got to yeah. find people. What you're doing is so important. And a lot of this is just letting people know that this exists, that there are ways and means and I've learned over time, too, talking to so many people, that college, traditional college, is not for everybody. It's not really the right way to go many times. And if you look at the debt that has been incurred in four-year colleges in this country alone, it's absolutely scary and frightening. And all absolutely. the Yeah. And all these young people that have these degrees that really don't amount to much, but they walk out with a mortgage around their neck. And- now there's these viable careers and there's you can make good money. I look at what some of the techs yeah. just working at dealerships are making, working on yeah. my st and I go, what? I had no idea. So when you think about this for you, what's the favorite part of what you do in your daily work? What makes you really feel warm and fuzzy inside? 
Uh, the absolute favorite thing that I have is passing along that belief that it's so important and so rewarding to do what you love to do. Mm, yes. You no, know, I, I push back against people who say, you know, young people aren't interested in cars. I, I don't believe that to be true. I believe that we, as kind of the current keepers of the interest in the industry, we need to be introducing them to vehicles. You know, when you look at the traditional way that a young person is introduced to cars, that's usually in the garage with a parent being told, here's how you change spark plugs, here you, here's how you change oil. That's not happening that much today because you know, cars are increasingly increasingly complex and they're, you know, it's it's a lot less expensive and more environmentally friendly to take it somewhere else and have the oil changed that you just don't have that engagement at that level anymore. So it turns to us, the people who are passionate about this, to introduce this to young people and kind of open their eyes to the possibilities of a career. And once they do, if they love this and they're passionate about this, when you kind of are opening the door and introducing them to a career, it's unbelievably rewarding. It really is. I've said this many times. If you have a, a kid that lives on your street and his parents aren't into cars and you are, offer to take their kid even to a Cars and Coffee. You know, yeah. you know don't be giving the kid coffee, but maybe a juice or something <laughs> and a donut. But, uh, you know, take them to that. I remember when I started taking my son to Car Week, he was about eight years old. And I'll never forget this. The first year we went, we're on the lawn at Pebble and he said, Dad, why are there no kids here? And I kind of hadn't thought about it. And I went, yeah, you're like the only little kid here. And, and it's gotten better. I see more and more people now at these events, especially at Cars and Coffee. And you see this millennium, millennial, millennium, millennial uh, XYZ, whatever <laughs> the groups of kids are at more and more Cars and Coffees, young people bringing cars in from their youth, 80s, 90s, and so forth, which kind of, well, doesn't kind of, it makes me smile. I think it's absolutely imperative. So you said it really well. You know, you are inspiring young people to realize there's a viable career. And you touched on something something else here. Doing what makes you happy and not just following the trends perhaps of you have to become this in your life to be happy or climb the corporate ladder in this kind of company to be happy. And I do see a change happening out there with young people, of uh, people I encountered, that it's more important to be happy. And I think young people are more involved in experiences versus acquiring material things, which is another nicer trend that I'm seeing. It's different than maybe you're in my generation, supposed to have a picket fence, a house by this time, 2.3 kids. That 0.3 kids a little odd, but you know what I mean? Uh, let's, right. let's talk about a driving inspiration for you. Obviously, your father was an inspiration for old cars, but is there a key mentor in your life that influenced you heavily? Well, yeah, certainly for cars, it was my father, but for life in general, it was really my grandfather. Um, my grandfather was hands down best person I've ever known. He came to the U.S. from Greece by himself when he was 12 years old. What? By himself he, at 12? By himself at 12 years oh old. Oh my gosh. So, wow. And he did it because uh, you know money was tight for the family back in Greece. So he, at 12 years old, was expected to come over to Greece, not only be able to support himself, but he had to send money back oh my gosh. to help his family. Wow. So he comes here with the equivalent of a sixth grade education, worked hard, started out as a busboy, saved enough money to start his own business. And he opened a grocery store and he bought a building and he started doing real estate and he built himself up. And wow. while he did that, he took other people along with him. Mm. He was somebody who loved giving people opportunities and he shared his success and he was happy genuinely happy to see other people succeed. Oh my gosh. So he, amazing. Yeah. So he was a, 
a tremendous mentor for me. And, um, one of the couple of things I learned from him was one that he never stopped learning. He was a guy with a sixth grade education, but he was still one of the smartest people I've ever known because he listened when someone would talk. And if that person was smart and successful, he did the things that they said to do. And even if they were kind of a knucklehead, he'd just do the opposite (laughs) and say, okay, this is somebody I shouldn't learn something from. So so don't do do what he's doing. (laughs) Right. Wow. That is incredible. You know, uh, the American dream and uh, you come from some great stock. You already knew that, Nick, but wow, that is, I mean, (laughs) you know, stop and think about that. 12 years old, going to a foreign country, probably didn't speak the language at all or very good, had to learn it, had to assimilate, had to become part, but looked around and went, okay, here's some great opportunities here. And it's really what we're talking about with the RPM Foundation, providing great opportunities for smart young men and women to take and carry forward and become successful and eventually have that own shop, own their own building and be successful and carry people with them, provide jobs. Wow. Well, I didn't know that. That is amazing. Man, Yeah, that is very, very cool. Well, kudos to him and what he did and and, uh, just... Hard to understand. 12, 12. I was trying to figure yeah. out how to buy a skateboard at 12. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Looking back, you know, at, at me when I was 12 years old, I mean, I know I never would have been able to do something like that, but he was a truly a phenomenal person. Well, and not to mention the bravery of him and his parents to send him away because they realize this is the only hope right now as we see it, because our country mm-hmm. has challenges to send somebody off and, uh, to do something with their life and and to help us. Um, and we see that with a lot of immigrants who come to this country that send money back to their families to help them survive in areas that there are not the types of uh, opportunity that we offer exactly. here in the United States if you're willing to work hard and, and be a great person. Let's take a short break. Wow, that's an incredible story. When we come back, I want to talk a bit about challenges and how to overcome those. So sit tight and we'll be right back. What began as a charitable car show has grown into the world's greatest collector car auctions, raising over $133 million for charitable organizations to date. For nearly 50 years, automotive enthusiasts from all over the world have enjoyed the Barrett-Jackson Collector Car Auctions, and I'm a huge fan. Regarded as the barometer of the collector car industry, their auctions are world-class lifestyle events, where thousands of the world's most sought-after unique and valuable automobiles cross the block in front of a global audience, in person, on TV, or streamed online. Barrett-Jackson produces the world's greatest collector car auctions in Scottsdale, Arizona, Palm Beach, Florida, Las Vegas, Nevada, and new for 2021, Houston, Texas. The excitement of Barrett-Jackson auctions is contagious, and a unique experience is not to be missed. And be sure to visit BarrettJackson.com today. Barrett Jackson, the world's greatest collector car auctions. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual informed, reasoned opinion based on first-hand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. 
And be sure to use the code CARS yeah when you subscribe and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. All right, so I want to talk about a big challenge that you faced on this. Could be, you mentioned getting laid off during 2007 when the Great Recession hit so many people, but you found a new path. You reinvented yourself, which I think is very cool. Kind of the same as restoring a car, reinventing a car, I like to say, taking something that has to go a new direction, perhaps. So talk about a big challenge, big failure. This could relate to RPM Foundation, maybe a story you've heard there, or your own personal life. So take us on a bit of a bumpy ride. Well, yeah, that is actually the um, the example that comes to mind. I mean, I had been working in IT. I would, I'd always loved cars, but there was no RPM foundation when I was a young person. So I didn't have an organization to you know, focus those efforts and let me pursue that as a career. So my high school didn't have an auto shop program, and I went through the regular four-year college degree. I ended up working in IT support for many years. And when I got laid off, I wasn't sure what to do next. And just to pass time, I was out there working with my father every day. And I realized how much I loved it. I I knew it was going to be a risk because there's no real guarantee when you're working for yourself that you're going to be successful at it. So I put in the time. I learned what I could and worked with my father for about seven years. And when he retired, I didn't really want to do that by myself anymore. We were a very small operation and it was kind of lonesome to go to the shop every day. So I actually went back into IT and I started working for a software company and I was the systems administrator for a software company that kept a database that kept track of utility workers, government mandated training. Okay. So that probably sounds boring. But it was actually I was trying to wake incredibly... up incredibly. Yeah, oh, I'm awake. I'm awake. <laughs> I'm not making fun of you, but I, I I get where you're going here. You talk about working in a shop around cars, having fun, and then you're back at a desk doing that, and it's kind of like, hmm, okay. Yeah. So I, mean, I know it sounds boring, but it was actually incredibly amazing, unbelievably boring. Oh, okay. <laughs> kind of. It wasn't kind of. It was unbelievably. <laughs> it was unbelievably boring. So I was making really good money, and I very quickly got a very good promotion, and I was making more money than I'd ever made before. It was a great company, and they really took care of me, but oh God, it was the most boring thing I'd ever done in my life. So I was at a party at a friend's house, and I was talking to a woman, and she asked me what I did for a living, and to keep people like you just did from falling asleep. Uh, I said, well, I work in software, but I tinker with cars on the side. And she said, well, do you know about the RPM foundation? Mm. And I didn't. So she connected me with Diane Fitzgerald, who was the president of the time. And after talking with Diane, she told me they were looking for somebody to manage the grants program. So the pay was about half of what I was making at the software company. This is a nonprofit. You can't expect to get rich from it. So I had this big crisis of like, I really love this organization and what they're doing but I'm so much more comfortable, you know, where I am right now. But I went in for the interview and I felt like it went really well. And now I thought I'm faced with a decision. Do I do this job that I really hate and keep making really good money or do I do what I love and, you know, eat ramen noodles for a while. Mm -hmm. So the day after the interview, I went on Facebook and I had liked RPM and they, this new brand new post 
had gone up about an hour earlier. And it says, we're looking for someone to manage our grants program. And I go, oh my God, I tanked the interview. Oh, yeah. And they're looking for somebody else. And I realized how devastated I was that I wasn't going to get the job. Mm, yeah. And so I called Diane. I said, what, well, what did I do wrong? And she said, oh no, we just got wires crossed and they, and they po- put the post up and didn't mean to, we're going to offer you the job. Oh. <laughs> so it was, yeah. it, it was this big, huge emotional thing, but the the end of the story is that you know if you really love what you do the rewards come right and i'm very grateful for being laid off back then and pursuing the jobs that i really genuinely am passionate about because there's no substitute for for loving what you do you know you dropped a huge value bomb as i like to call them here and it's really a great thing especially for young people but even old people to realize no matter how comfortable you are in a job Making great money, feel super comfortable. Hey, big company, nothing can happen to me. Wrong. It can. Yeah. And it probably will. And yeah. why go through, I always say this with, I have many friends like this, very successful, making lots of money, but they would look at what I was doing, even my previous job, and say, man, you're having so much fun, you're around cars, I wish I could do that. And they're, I used to say they're living for the weekend or for retirement. What if the weekend mm-hmm. doesn't come? What if retirement doesn't come? Right. And what a sad way to go through life. Yeah, it's tough readjusting and taking less pay, but those are all things that in the long run you've learned, I've learned it as well, are the way to live your life because you're so much happier. <laughs> yes. And life's not guaranteed. Didn't we just learn that going through a pandemic? Maybe that was a slap in the face for a lot of us that you need to do what you love. So. Great story. I think it has been. Yeah, yeah, great story. I appreciate you uh, dropping that off. Let's look ahead with RPM Foundation, maybe the next three-year plan. Five years is kind of far to look out, especially when you don't know what's coming, like (laughs) what we just went through. What are some big, I like to say, BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals, to quote Jim Collins and Good to Great, for RPM Foundation, some things you're looking to do in the future? We want to do what we're doing on a much bigger level. We get a lot of grant applications from very worthy programs. So when we find the ones that are in line with our mission, there are always more programs and more need than our budget can fill. So we usually have to reduce the amount we award in order to ensure all the worthy programs receive some level of support. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to see our fundraising grow to the point where we can provide support to those programs that can reach the students that excel and the students that are in need. We've got our apprenticeship program. And you know the way that program works is we provide gap funding to apprentices when they're making less in the shops uh, while they're learning than what their expenses are. So there's costs associated with that. So as we expand that program, we're going to need to be supporting more apprentices. Same thing with the endangered skills program. The more the more we can raise, the more skills we can stabilize, pass on training, and document for future generations. So we can, you know, and you talked about long-term. Long-term, I believe the RPM Foundation can be doing more for the industry mm-hmm. in terms of providing training standards, elevating the profile of vehicle restoration as a craft, and recruiting more and more passionate, talented new professionals into the field. We could always be doing more. Absolutely. And obviously, we'll put links, but they're real easy to find on the web, RPM Foundation. Just Google that and it'll pop up and you can go and learn. And if you're a business, there might be an opportunity here or an individual that has the means to, to help and support and uh, donate. Give Nick a call. There's lots of ways that you can help. 
absolutely, which I think is a, a wonderful thing to do. This is so, so important for our trade, for the hobby, and for young people to find something they're passionate about and can enjoy because they can take the ball and run with it from there. Let's talk about a special vehicle in your life. I would assume there's probably one or two, but pick one out that you'd like to share a story about. Yeah, I thought about this because there have been quite a few, but the one that I always keep coming back to is my first car, and that was a 1983 Mustang convertible. I had won a raffle when I was 16 years old, I won $5,000. Wow. And that's a big, that's a big win when you're that age. <laughs> yeah. It's a big, yeah. And you know, and to have $5,000 at, at 16 years old is very dangerous, especially <laughs> yeah. when you're as dumb as I was at, at 16. Most of us are not quite figured it out at that point in our life. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so my folks told me you can use the money to buy a car once you're in college. So when I was 19 years old, I bought the Mustang and the first time I brought it down to school at Illinois State University, I picked up my college roommate and we went for a drive through campus. We were stopped at a stop line to let these two young women walk by and they stopped in the middle of the street and one of them said, can we have a ride in your convertible? <laughs> Score. <laughs> and I had, yeah, right. I, I had gone to an all boys Catholic high school. I was super awkward around women. And I also, you know, I had Coke bottle glasses and a mullet. I'm nobody's first pick at the dance. <laughs> So I just kind of nod stupidly and they hop in the car and we went for this beautiful drive on a spring day through cornfields in central Illinois. We got back to town, girls hopped out and said, thank you. And I'm too stupid to get a phone number, but <laughs> I wasn't worried because I thought this is how it's going to be. Now I'm going to drive down the street hey, girls and, are just gonna jump are just in my jump car. In the car. <laughs> and it never happened again. Yeah, well, you know, those opportunities, that's the other thing you learn as you get older. Take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah, get a phone number. <laughs> exactly. Maybe say, hey, want right. to go out for a soda or a burger or something, you know, <laughs> take it to the next step. But, yeah, you uh, live and you learn. You do. Absolutely. What a great story. Uh, and what how fortuitous. And smart of your folks to tell you, hey, put that in savings. Back then, savings, you could actually oh, yeah. make some money. Now you put it in the bank and they charge yeah. you. So, uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, crazy times we're living in. I want to crawl into your head here. If you were a vehicle, you were manifest. As a vehicle, what would you be, Nick, and why? Yeah, this was this is a good question. I um, I'd like to think that I'm a Ferrari 308 or an Aston Martin DB7, but the truth of that is that I'm probably more of a 1986 Saab 900 SPG. Now that's interesting because it's yeah, I had one. Okay, because it's kind of odd. And it's not for everybody, and those who do like it can't really explain why they like it. <laughs> nice, nice explanation there. That's a that's a very honest interpretation of that question. I like it. Yeah, be humble. That's for sure. So I try to be humble. I remember the first time I drove a Saab. I had a car detailing business, and I think I was sixteen or seventeen. And guy gave me the keys. I get in. And I'm like where do you put the key? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, and then I, he came over and he goes, there's a problem. I go, how do I, where do I put the key? And he laughed. He goes, I wondered if you had ever driven one before. And I said, no, it was one of those sob turbos. And uh, I looked down and I went, well, that's a silly place. What if you spill your drink or something? You know, it's going to go right <laughs> into the keyhole. So, oh yeah. Sobs um, were very interesting cars. Well, you know, I always ask about how we give back. You obviously do that through RPM Foundation. So we've discussed that at length. Let's talk about a book though you'd like to share. Is there a, a book that you've read that you think our listeners could learn a lot from or or simply enjoy? I, I would encourage anybody. I, I'm a huge fan of Mike Royko. And outside of Chicago, I don't know that Royko has really made that much of a name for himself, but he was a columnist 
for several different Chicago newspapers from the 1960s to the 1990s. And I believe him to be the greatest columnist of all time. He was somebody who could write in a very entertaining way. He was funny, uh, he was informative, he was creative, but most importantly, he had this way of positioning his viewpoint so that he could sway you to his side of an argument without insulting the other side or discounting any kind of concerns that they might have. And I appreciate that. I, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole of the current state of discourse in our country, but I'll say that that's something of a lost art. I don't think any one person can ever be 100% right. I don't think any one person can ever be 100% wrong. So I see it as a real shame when people let their differences completely separate them. I can understand it when it's a completely fundamental difference, but some of the things that we're letting divide us right now can definitely be overcome by civil discourse. So I hope that we as a people can find our way back to that. And I, the book, yeah, the book is um, One More Time. It's a collection of columns by Mike Royko. And, you know, they're, they're meant for a certain period of time, but a lot of the concepts that he talked about are very relatable today. Ah, oh, perfect. Great. I'll make sure I put a link to that book on Nick's show notes page. You can go to carsyow.com, type in Nick Ellis, E-L-L-I-S, and you'll find that link right there. Great book for the times we live in, for sure. We'll have one more uh, insertion of uh, a ad sponsor here. When we come back, we're going to go on the ultimate drive with Nick, so keep the seatbelts on. We'll be right back. Did you know that Cars yeah is in the top 1% of all podcasts based on listenership, according to Lipson? the premier RSS feed for podcasts in the United States. That's right. And Cars Yeah! is the only five-day-a-week automotive-focused podcast for you to get your message into the ears of thousands of listeners daily from all over the world. Plus, DuPont Registry recommended Cars Yeah! is one of their top 10 car podcasts for you to enjoy. Cars Yeah! has experienced tremendous growth, plus your ads are evergreen, meaning they never go away. And more and more listeners find Cars yeah every day for their daily dose of automotive inspiration. Do you want to expose your brand to a highly targeted list of automotive enthusiasts in a very unique and very personal way? Well, I can help you. Contact me, Mark Green, at mark at carsyeah.com or through the website at carsyeah.com today to learn more. So I have a magic scepter here at Cars Yeah, which enables me to allow you to take the ultimate drive. You get to pick the vehicle, any car in the world. You get to pick the person you're with. Could be somebody living or someone who's passed. And where would you be going and maybe what would you be talking about? So what's your ultimate drive look like, Nick? I would love to drive with Nikola Tesla. Oh, wow. And because uh, he's just the greatest mind and you know was right about so many technological advances. He predicted the internet. He predicted handheld phones. Super, super interesting person, I think, to talk to. So um, just to be difficult, though, I would not drive in a Tesla. <laughs> I would probably probably break out that Ferrari 308 that I was hoping I was. Okay. And would love to take that through the tail of the dragon highway. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. That but, would and be nice. I would need to drive. He's 
kind of a crazy person. <laughs> yeah. you know, he's very, very smart, but also talk to pigeons. <laughs> so I don't think I, I want him buying the whale. Maybe that's why uh, our good friend uh, who started, well, didn't start Tesla, but owns the company now, Elon, you know, he can be a little different <laughs> and unique. Maybe right. maybe Nikola had a little bit of that in him as well. Yeah. So uh, but wouldn't that be interesting? But yeah, I'm not sure you'd want to throw him in a new 308 on the tail of the dragon. You may not, may not <laughs> make not. it to the dragon's back, that's for sure. Um, wow. That would be a very interesting ride. I'm trying to think if anyone's ever suggested a ride with Nikola Tesla. I have to go back, but uh, it's getting harder and harder for me to remember every story after 1,857 guests. So <laughs> I, I can't imagine that you would. Yeah, I try. I try. Great, great to drive that would be. Well, you've taken us on a great ride, and I'm really appreciative. I want to do a shout out to Deb Pollock for suggesting I invite you, Nick. You know, I've had been friends with Nick for a while, and I'm thinking, duh, how come I've never <laughs> invited him on the show? So <laughs> my apologies, but we got you now, so that's good. You know, again, you bring so many great guests to the show, and I want to thank you again for that. What's a parting piece of wisdom, advice, mantra you might offer our listeners today? Yeah, I for parting advice, a mantra, well, actually, I'd, I'd like to, to do two, if that's possible. Absolutely. Because we work with students who are interested in pursuing a career, but we also work with people who are already established in this industry industry and the interest. So for students, I'll go back to my grandfather and say, never stop learning. Mm. Every shop owner we talk to prioritizes teachability over everything else when they look for new talent. So never believe that you know it all. Somebody always has something that you can learn. And that's very valuable to the people that have things to teach you. Mm. And then for the ones who are established for the old guard, my personal mantra comes from Jason Wenick at the Creative Workshop, who's been a great friend to RPM in terms of working with us to develop the apprenticeship program curriculum. He's helping us grow our programs. During one of the first conversations we had, Jason talked about that refrain you hear about youth not being interested in cars. And his response is, what are you doing about it? Mm. Because it's one thing to point out an issue and just throw your hands up about it and say, there's nothing can be done. We, as the ones who are established in this world need to consider this, our challenge and do something about it, whether Mm -hmm. it's inviting a young person to sit in their car at the show or talking with somebody who's excited about their 96 Honda civic, because this is what they know, or taking the time to teach somebody who's willing to learn. We all have opportunities to get the next generation involved. So we have to do something about it. I love that. It's so important. My father long, long ago taught me it's one thing to realize there's a challenge or a problem in your life. It's quite another to do something about it. And so many people sit around and complain today about different things, their own life or other people's lives. But this this comment by Jason, what are you doing about it? There you go. I mean, it goes back to your book suggestion and, and that writer to find a way to better things and improve things. So I love it. And of course, never stop learning. Absolutely imperative to happiness. That's another thing I've learned talking to so many great people. What's the best way for people to learn more about and get involved with RPM Foundation? Well, we're all throughout social media. If you look us up on uh, Facebook or uh, Instagram, you can find us at RPM Foundation. And our website is rpm.foundation. Tons of information about the organization on the site. And you can always email us directly at info at rpm.foundation. Several different ways of getting in touch. Most definitely. If you do see that we've got a, a challenge ahead of us in the car hobby, old cars, restoration, all those things we love to do. So what are you doing about it? 
Well, here's the great thing to do about it. Reach out to RPM Foundation and ask them, what can I do about it? How can I help? How can I be a part of this? I encourage you to do so. And, and thank you again, Deb, for your nudge. Uh, getting Nick, Nick, uh, Nick, getting Nick on the show today. It's been absolutely wonderful to connect with you in this way, Nick, since we already know each other. I want to thank you for sharing your time today, your expertise, and your inspiration with the listeners. Until you and I talk again, which will be soon, no doubt, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.